Okay, this is minor recordings. This is module 15.4 on the life of Moses. So the first point we're talking about is, is that he was chosen by God. So we know that when God is looking for a man or a woman to fulfill an important role in the kingdom of God, it seems that he chooses their parents well. Yes? Moses' parents were called Amram and Jochebed. And they were mum and dad who had faith. And they exhibited their faith to get this little boy saved from death, first of all, and launched on life. Pharaoh had decreed that all the... Oh, they already had two children. Miriam, who was seven when Moses was born, and Aaron, who was three. So Moses was the third child in the family. Pharaoh had decreed that all the baby boys were to be killed when they were born, as the population of the Hebrews was outgrowing the Egyptian population, and Pharaoh feared a revolt. So the blessing of God was on his people. And even though they were in captivity, God still blessed them, and they were multiplying, and they became powerful in the land. And so powerful they were, and then they, they were making bricks and building all the um, pyramids and different things for the Egyptians. And uh, they were virtually, they were slaves, really. And, uh, but, uh, and then Pharaoh decided that he, instead of giving them straw to make their bricks, which they were building with, what did he do? He said, no more straw. No more straw. You'll have to go and get your own straw. I'm not providing it for you. So they had to send a whole lot of people out to gather the straw before they could mix it with the mud to make the bricks that they were making. And they were under terrible pressure. And it says that they cried out to the Lord, saying, Lord, help us. It says their cry came up to the Lord, and the Lord answered their prayer. And he raised up this man, Moses. Often God's answer to the people's prayer as a man or a woman uh, walking in the favour of God. Yes? And, and that's often been God's answer, is to raise up a prophet, raise up a leader, raise up somebody in the land to do something good for people and to answer their prayers, be part of the answer. Three months after Moses was born, Jochebed, upon seeing that Moses was a fine Hebrew word, tob, meaning favoured child, prepares a waterproof basket and places Moses in it, no doubt praying that God would somehow protect him. And uh, so here he is. He, the parents saw him and they didn't want, because the, the, the edict was that every baby boy was to be killed. And I think that's probably the same spirit that was in, in Herod when Jesus was coming, the deliverer was coming, and this same spirit gets into Herod and says, hey, well, we're going to kill all the baby boys that are born. And uh, it was the same devilish answer to a deliverer coming for God's people. And uh, we see that at the end of the age, that again, there'll be, uh, uh, when the Antichrist comes in, you know, that there's this, this, this slaughter of, of, of people. Uh, even today, I think, you know, with the end time harvest coming in as it is, you know, God promised a great, huge end time harvest. And... Uh, so as the end time harvest comes in and, and all the babies being born, many of them will be gathered into the church. So what's happening around the Western world today? We're aborting all the babies, thousands of them in New Zealand. And they want them aborted up to full term. Yes, it's, I mean, and it, this is happening through the... And it see, to me, it seems a little bit like the same spirit 
You know, these people trying to prevent the harvest and, and taking people out before they get here. And, uh, but it's, that's interesting. Anyway, uh, he's launched on, in the basket and he's, he's with the favour of God. And this little fella, he carries something special. The parents just say that he seemed a fine child. He's probably a healthy little baby. And they couldn't bear to hand him over to be slaughtered. And uh, all the other mothers were doing that. Because if they didn't, they themselves would be killed. But she had faith. She, somehow she, she discerned that this child was carrying something of, in God. And so she had God gives them the faith to launch him in, in this little basket, this little ark. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And she finds him. She goes down to bathe in the morning. Here's this little baby, probably yelling his head off, wanting a good feed. And um, she finds him, picks him up, and, and, and falls in love with him and rescues him. And then uh, Miriam uh, is, is there, and she's seven years old, or eight by now probably. And her mother, uh, Jochebed, has sent her down to just see, see what happens to the little fella. And so she's hiding in the bulrushes and, and uh, sees this Pharaoh. And, and she hears, she hears uh, Pharaoh's daughter saying, well, we, I want to keep this little fella. He, he looks great. I'm going to keep him for myself. Uh, but she says, how am I going to feed him? And then out come, from the bushes comes Miriam and says, look, I could find somebody uh, perhaps to feed him. And uh, so she says, she says, okay. So Miriam runs home, gets to his mum. Guess what? Pharaoh's daughter is asking for a wet nurse to come and look after this baby. And why, you get down there. So Miriam goes back and introduces this woman uh, to Pharaoh's daughter. And she says, yeah, that'll be great. And so she's in there in the palace. And she's there um, feeding the, uh, Moses and looking after him. Pharaoh's daughter finds him and takes him to herself and names him Moses, which means one who is drawn out. He was not only drawn out of the river Nile, but he's also used by God to draw the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Miriam offers her mother's services to feed the baby, so Jochebed enters the palace to look after her own baby and in time to instruct him as to who he really is and who his God is. And Moses grows up as the grandson of Pharaoh and becomes skilled in all the politics and ways of Egypt, which is a hugely prosperous nation at this time. And God is positioning him. God is positioning him. All through his teenage years, God has positioned him and, and got him in this, in this place and he understands Egypt. He understands their ways, understands, knows Pharaoh as his grandfather and uh, knows the court uh, and all those sorts of things which are going to prove important for him later in his life. And uh, so here he is being prepared by God. Moses has to flee. Um, what happened? You can read it later on in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. What happened? Sophia, you were going to t talk about this. Yes. He was whipping a slave. He was, he was dealing with her, having a fight. Mm. And Moses went up and, and, and killed him and buried him in the, in the, in the sand in the desert mm. and went home. And then what happened? No. Next minute he sees two Hebrew boys, young fellas, fighting. And so he strolls up. I mean, he is, he's, he's, he's heading to be the next pharaoh. Yes. 
I mean, he's in line to be head of this whole nation. So he, he's walking around, but he knows that he's a Jew. And he knows his God. And he knows that he's raised up to be a deliverer. Somehow his mother has imparted to him, or God has imparted to him somehow. He knows. And so he walks over to these two guys having a real punch-up and says, come on, you guys, pull apart. And they turn on him. And they say, hey, who, who do you think you are? You've got no rule over us. You're just one of us. Yeah. And you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian. And he, all of a sudden he realises that people know yeah. what happened. The story's got out. And although he's tried to bury it, you know, the story's got out. And he runs for his life. Because that will be the finish of him. And he runs for his life into the desert. Moses has to flee and ends up shepherding sheep in the desert. He meets this guy, Jethro. Uh, and the first time he's mentioned, his name is Real, Real. And uh, uh, then uh, he marries the daughter of Real, of Jethro, Zipporah, or Zipporah, and gets to know his father-in-law. Unbeknown to him. And so he's there. He's there for 40 years. I mean, he was... When, this, when, when he had to run, he was 40 years old. He was up in the palace. He, he was not, he was a mature man. He, and he was trained in all the way. So he was held a high place in Egypt. You can be sure of that. And he's been trained to become the Pharaoh because Pharaoh's only got a daughter. So he's next in line. So he, he's a skilled man. Uh, but at 40, he has to run. And he runs to the desert and tries to and gets a lot, is found and, and makes his way towards these shepherd people who are herding sheep and things like that. And uh, he goes in and Jethro takes him in. He ends up marrying Zipporah, and there it is. Unbeknown to him, he's learning all about the desert and where the watering places are and how to survive in this harsh environment. Nothing is ever wasted with God. You know, he, he's run for his life. He's 40 years in the desert, but he's learning a whole lot of things here. They were nomadic people, so they would travel from place to place with their sheep. And so he got to know this desert. He got to discover where the watering places are. He discovered when the, when the grass would be growing and when it wasn't, where it was growing and where it wasn't. And so he, he became just a, a again, a skilled man out in the desert. And he did his best with his father-in-law, and obviously later on we find they are very close. All our experiences are harnessed by the Holy Spirit to be used later in our lives. And we have to have faith for that. You know, Romans 8.28, what does it say? All things work together for God. They all work. God works all things. He knits all things together for our good, those who are called according to his purpose. And so we're all called. We have a purpose. And, and, and so even the difficult, the desert things, God is using for the days that lie ahead. And we just trust him to do those sorts. And even when we make mistakes, even when we do dumb things, God turns them to good as long as we've got a repentant heart and we'll walk humbly before him. In Exodus chapters 4 and 5, we read of... Uh, uh, Moses in the desert, 40 years in the desert. Moses is just doing what he always does. And then he encounters God and his life is changed. What happened? 
burning bush. A what? A burning bush. A burning bush. What was particular about the burning bush? Well, it wasn't burning up. It wasn't burning up. Yes. Was burning. <laughs> In the desert, we got so hot, often the bushes would just burst com yeah. into flame, just combust by combustion. And, and so that wasn't an uncommon sight. But as he watched this bush, it just kept going. And that got his attention. And so he wanders over. He got, got a, he thought, this is unusual. When you see something unusual that is happening, take notice of it. Just have a look. And so he wanders over there and God speaks to him out of the burning bush that is not consumed. He'll soon be consumed. <laughs> His tyres will anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So he, God speaks to him out of a burning bush that is not consumed. He sees something unusual and gets closer to see what it is. When he gets close to God, he hears his destiny being revealed. Uh, so, so Moses is there, and, and he hears this voice. And God says, take the shoes off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he walked into the presence of God, mm. and he encounters God, probably, in the, well, certainly in this way, for, for the first time in his life like this. Mm. And, and God says, I want to see, well, you've got to go back to Egypt. He says, I want you to go back and set my people free and bring them to the Mount Sinai that they might worship me out there. And, and Moses is saying, no way, Jose. I, I am not. That's the last place I will be going back to. If I go back there, they will kill me. And uh, he says, and, the, and my people, what are they going to say? God just says to him, I'll tell you who's with you. I am with you. And he gives him his covenant name. He says, I will be with you. If you will go, I'll go with you. And, and so he, he promises of his presence. And uh, I've put down here, when you are ready and God is ready, he will find you, no matter how obscure you have become in other people's eyes. You know, we might think we're tucked away, but when God, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are towards him. And so God finds us. God has a purpose for each of our lives. And it's a good thing. The same was true for David a week out from being crowned king. He was about to be crowned king. He'd been running from Saul. He was anointed as king when he was about 15. He's now 30, 15 years later. And there's one week to go and the celestial time clock is ticking. And God says, it's time for my boy to be king. Where is he? Where is he? And God looks down and finds him. He's going to war with the Philistines against God's people. He has joined the Philistines. He's got so discouraged and so down in the mouth and says, they'll kill me. And she's all over Rover. So he goes down and joins on with the Philistines and ends up marching against God's people with the armies. And God says, wait a minute, you're going to be king in a week. <laughs> and so God turns him around and he is crowned. Paul the Apostle was 14 years, 14 years in Tarsus. Here he is in 14 years. And, and, and you know, uh, Barnabas comes looking for him and finds him in obscurity and introduces himself. So Moses has chosen God. Well, Moses was ready. He was trained in all the ways of Egypt. 
He was familiar with the palace and the Pharaoh. He had been humbled by 40 years in the desert. Now God calls him at 80 years of age. God often takes years to get us ready for great things. We can think time is ticking by, but God can accomplish things in a few short years that it would take us decades to fulfill. See, the thing is with God, you know, when he has something, because we never know who's in our family. We never know who we're looking after. We never know who we care, who we're praying for. We don't know. But, I, you know, God, it's like sitting at the traffic lights and they're, they're, they go orange and then they go red. And they're red, red, red. You think, oh, especially if you're in Auckland. <laughs> you're sitting there thinking, whatever. Here goes another minute, 40 seconds of my valuable life. And it seems like it's about five minutes. And, 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 but then it suddenly turns green. And you're off. And sometimes life can be like that. Sometimes you think you're just marking time, marking time, marking time. Whatever's happening. And then all of a sudden, one day, and we've looked at Rebecca, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, and it all happens in a day. Moses is just out in the desert feeding the sheep. All of a sudden, he's called by God. And God calls him at 80 years of age. Take courage. None of us have got there yet. <laughs> Second thing about Moses... Not only was he called and chosen by God and had parents who had faith, um, uh, and we need to be those sorts of parents, don't we? We need those parents and grandparents who've got faith for our kids. Believe the best. Speak blessing over them. Don't, need, don't keep praying and praying and praying and asking God to bless them. You bless them. Speak blessing over them. Declare the purpose of God over their life. Moses was a man who listened to God. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26. By faith, let's all read it together. Here we go. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was a looking ahead to his reward. That's a great thing, isn't it? You know, that's a great thing to, to say in the, the chapter of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11. He must have been taught by his mother the ways of God, even when he was in the palace. He knew he was, and he knew what God wanted. And so he makes this decision. And he identified, the Bible says he identified with God's people, even though it cost him. In Exodus 33 and verse 11, let's read it together. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. God spoke with him many times and he listened and did what God wanted in God's way. God backed him up and the people knew that Moses spoke with authority. And I've put in here, you know, authority... And you've heard me speak about this. Authority comes from revelation. In the church, in the kingdom of God, authority comes from hearing from God, of knowing what to do, of making great decisions. And you can only get that from God as you, as you spend time in his word, as you have a relationship with him. How do we have a relationship with God? Through the word and through the spirit. And you know uh, we need to cultivate that relationship and then God begins to speak with us. God begins to share with us. We, we, we seem to get wisdom. And uh, if we spend time in the word, 
Psalm 119, it talks about that if you, if you meditate in the word, you'll have wisdom beyond the elders, beyond the, the, the others that are around. And, and it's, it's like that. And so we need to understand how the kingdom of God works. Authority comes from revelation, and revelation comes from relationship. Psalm 103 and verse 7, I just found this the other yesterday or today, was it? It says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And, and Moses talked face to face with God. God, he, he was a friend of God. He, he, he knew God and, and he heard from God. And uh, he, he just kept hearing from God what to do next. Often he was on his face before God saying, God, what do I do here? What on earth will I do? You should help me. You said you'd be with me, man. I need you right now. They're going to stone me to death. And, um, and he was like that. But God made known his ways. He showed his deeds to the people. He showed to the people what he could do by his miraculous intervention. But he showed his ways, the way that God works, the way that God is, the way that God sees. He shows his ways to, to, to Moses. He was close to him. Numbers 12 and verse 3. He was a humble man. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Yes? Humble, humility. Um, humility is, 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 a, is a great thing. His ability to function and fulfill his destiny was rooted in the knowledge that he knows who God is and his abilities rather than who he is and his own abilities. Exodus chapter 3 just says this. Because he was arguing with God. He said, look, I can't do this. He said, don't call me, man, I, I, I can't do it. And uh, verse 10 of this chapter, God says to him, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on the mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Mm -hmm. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Hallelujah. He is whatever we need for whatever situation. He is. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am, Jehovah, has sent me to you. And so God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So he does that, and, and he goes, and uh, then he, he still argues, but he knows that he can't do it, but with God he can. He finally trusts in God's promise and in his presence and in his power. And the way Moses deals with opposition and challenges, we can see his humility and his reliance on God. What were the signs that God gave him to show to Pharaoh when he got there? Two things that he did for him. He said, show Pharaoh this. Yes. He said, put your rod, throw your rod down, and what, what will happen? It'll turn into a snake. What else? 
Yeah, that's true. So all the Egyptians did that. All the sorcerers did the same thing. That's pretty powerful stuff. But his snake ate up their snakes. What happened next? Put his hand in, in here. When he brought it out, it was leprous. Put it back in, was healed. It was another sign that God was with him. And God gave him these signs, and Moses never forgot that God was with him. Moses learned how to handle opposition and criticism. We'll just touch on this. Leviticus Numbers chapter 12. If you're going to do something for God, guess what? You're going to get criticised. You're going to get rubbished. People will, you know, people will take you on, you know, and they will misunderstand what you're doing. And so, you know, you just need to, 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 to be humble and handle it right. So Miriam and Aaron opposes Moses. Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Moses. This is Numbers 12. Uh, because he had married a Cushite. Well, he was out in the desert. So he married Zipporah, and she wasn't a Hebrew. And they, all the Hebrews are saying, well, yeah, 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 you. well, God said not to do that, and you've done that, and so on, so on. So you're rubbish, you know. Why? How come you're leading us? And this is his brother and his sister, you know. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them come out. Then the Lord came down on a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. You've been having a lot to say. I love the way God deals with this. He said, right out, you three out here. <laughs> We've got a bit of a, we need to have a bit of a sort out here. You two are you know, so the three of them said it's like outside the headmaster's office. And here's the three of them there, yeah? And, and, and so, so so God says, Right, you've been having a lot to say. Now listen to what I've got to say. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. See, Miriam was a prophetess. So he's saying, oh, I speak to you, but it's when you're asleep. In visions and dreams, you see. You're doing a good thing, but Moses is different. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. In our notes, I say this. You know, they criticised an action, but that was not the real problem. They were jealous of him. They said, oh, well, you married the wrong woman. See, that's your problem. That shows you're not, you shouldn't be leading. And jealousy, they said, we're as good as you. Moses never says a word. All through this, he never says anything. He thinks, oh, no, they're in trouble here. <laughs> this is the... Often, when we get criticised, this is the way to handle it. Say, God, I'm only doing what you asked me to do. I can't justify myself. You're going to have to sort this for me. Moses took a 40-year course in the desert, but learned that he could not be touched by men's words. Those who were disturbed and overwhelmed by words of slander proved themselves unfit to be an authority. You cannot often justify or vindicate yourself. Let God judge. If a mistake is made, look to the Lord. 
You cannot establish your own authority. Forty years earlier, Moses dealt with people by his own hand, so that at that time God did not appoint him as the leader. So God moves quickly. He wants to talk to Aaron and Miriam. Hear now my words. God speaks to Moses, the meek and the humble Moses, and tells them that leadership is based on revelation. Only those that hear from God can lead. God dealt with the problem. And he says, why do you speak again? He didn't say, why do you speak against Moses? Because we're all just men and women. We're all the same. We all stand on one basis, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody is higher than anybody else as far as our standing before the throne of God is concerned. We're all equal. Hallelujah. The blood of God, Jesus, makes us all one in Christ. Yes? We're all favourites. We're all, we're church of the firstborn. We're all treated like the firstborn in the family. And, uh, but God is a respecter of office. He said, you spoke as my servant. I made him the leader. So you've taken on a bit much when you're, when you're questioning my decision. That's what he's saying, you see. And that's an important thing, isn't it? God sets one up, um, but Moses never set himself up. He was a reluctant starter. He didn't, want to, he didn't want the job. We do not have to justify our position. Either God does it or it won't be done. God did not say, why did you speak against Moses, but why did you speak against my servant, Moses? To speak against God's servant is to challenge God himself. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When Paul was, Saul was persecuting the church, he met Jesus on the road, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting me. He was gathering the Christians and killing them all off, and Jesus took it personally. He said, I'm Jesus, you are persecuting me. You see? Moses was just a spectator, he had no personal feeling. All he did was quickly forgive. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like still a stillborn, an infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. This is the first time he says anything. And he's interceding. And the Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. Mm-hmm. After that, that's, that's an, that's a, there's a lot in that. Mm-hmm. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Mm-hmm. So this is the way that Moses dealt with opposition. He was humble. He knew to take the low road. Next, he was a servant leader. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. This is is true of my servant, Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. The great secret to Moses' success is that God knew he was faithful in all of God's house. There are more references to Moses as being a servant than anyone else in the Bible, including Jesus. Jesus said that servanthood was greatness in the kingdom of God. He himself took the role of a servant. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 7. Let's read it. In your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And that scripture goes on, therefore God has highly exalted him. Hallelujah. And you know, uh, to be great in the kingdom of God is to be, be a servant person. And you people in this room, you are like that. I see you around the place and you're quietly going about your stuff and doing what God's asked you to do. That is greatness in the kingdom of God. This is why anybody can be great. When we get to heaven where Jesus is the, the first will be last. <laughs> There'll be a few surprises in heaven and the last shall be first. Because the kingdom of God has a different measure of success than what we have. And in Jesus' eyes, being a servant is greatness. We, do not have to have, we don't have to have brains to be a servant. We don't have to be clever. We don't have to be a ten-talent person. We don't have to be good-looking. We don't have to be young and fit and whatever. We can be us. Hallelujah. And we've got the serving heart. That is greatness. And uh, we need to acknowledge that and, and preach that and believe that. But a servant leader, a servant, the, the key to leadership is to be willing to serve. If you're willing to serve, hallelujah, then God will, you'll carry the favour of God. But a lot of leaders forget that. They get into a position and they don't do it. And they don't serve like that anymore. But hey, we just need to roll up our sleeves sometimes and do what we can do. Then, then in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus talks about leadership in his kingdom and points out that it is different from leadership in the world. Mark 10, 42, 45, let's read it. Here we go, one, two. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's so much in that uh, to aspire to, to, to being a leader in, in, the, in the house of the Lord. Moses was skilled at not only serving God, but also serving his people. He looked after those people. He interceded for them again and again. One stage, God was going to wipe them out. He said, I'm so sick of these people. He said, listen, we'll forget about them. We'll start again. I'll make you the leader. And here we go. We'll start a whole new generation. And Moses said, wait a minute. We'll come back to that in the next section. General Bruce Clark served in World War I and World War II and in the Korean War in the American Army. And he said this, rank is given to you to enable you to better serve those above you and below you. It is not given for you to practice your idiosyncrasies. <laughs> it's good, eh? Yeah. And so you know, there's always someone that we're, um, we're responsible to, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know, as a school teacher in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the education world, you're a teacher, but uh, you were responsible to the head of the department, and you were responsible to the principal of the school, yes? yes. 
And so you and, and you served them. Whatever they needed doing, you did your best to do it for them. And then you served the others, the kids who were there. If you were just there to just to lord it over them, then it, it didn't particularly work. But if the kids soon work out whether you love them, whether you care about them, and, and uh, they, you know, I remember when Sophie was was there in, in school, and the kids would would make a beeline for her uh, her room, the kitchen, and uh, and the sewing room, uh, and after interval and after lunch, so they could get their shirts sewed in again and put the buttons put back on, <laughs> and uh, all those sorts of things, and they would turn up. They say, oh, please, please, miss. There's a guy who's got his shirt. He's been playing rugby. He's got no buttons left in his shirt. So time after time, I'd sew on the buttons. And just said, I love these kids. And another time I found out a boy, he had no money. And he, he, he ripped his trousers. His trousers were just wrecked. And he had no school trousers. And uh, so I saw this and, and, and I said, come on, mate, come with me. Jumped him in the car, took him out down and brought him a, a new pair of trousers, yeah? And, 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 and just, just, and he comes back in the corner, he's right again, you know. But they didn't have any money. They didn't have any money. And, and you serve. You, you serve above and you serve below. And that's servant leadership, yes? Right, let's have some coffee. Then we'll talk about, and we've just got a couple more things to do. Nana Recordings, this is the second part of uh, seminar 14.5. 15.4 on the life of Moses. Point six. He prayed for his people. Exodus 32, 9 to 14. You see, unless we call God into the situations, we'll always struggle in our whatever God has asked us to do. Verse 9. We talked about that um, Oh, yes. I've seen these people, verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. You know, God got fed up with this little... If he said that about your eyes at some point, man, I'm going to deal with this joker. <laughs> but Moses sought the favour of the Lord as God. Oh Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? He said, they're not my people, they're your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out? To kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. And then he brings that great phrase, remember. Remember your servants, Abraham and Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. <coughs> then, when, then, when, when the Lord remembered what he had spoken, and you know, you've heard, some of you have heard me preach on this and teach on this, that the most powerful thing that we can do before the throne of God is to remind God and bring his word before the throne of God. And, and that will move the hand of God. There's no use just praying. Uh, well, not no use, but it's, it's, it's more powerful to bring what God has said. Remember what you said concerning this city. Remember what you said. 
Remember what you've spoken in days gone by. And, 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 and he moves the hand of God. And he, he prays for the people and intercedes for them. Um, Exodus 32, well, I've just read that. 31 and 32, get down further. And it goes on and it says, So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves, oh, this is when he comes down from the mountain, yes, and they've got calves of gold and they're all having a party. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Whoa, that's, that's putting God on the map. And that's putting himself on the map. He said, Lord, I love these people. I love these people. Lord, I love them. I was standing in the gap for them. He said, don't blot them out. If you have to blot out somebody, blot out me. But spare the people. And uh, God heard his prayer. Um, you know, there, there is a time to pray, and there's a time also to get moving. In Exodus chapter 14, they've got down to the Red Sea, and they've got Pharaoh's horses coming behind them. Remember that? And Pharaoh's changed his mind yet again. And so he's coming down with the chariots, and they're hemmed in. And verse 10 of chapter 14 of Exodus said, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? You know, he had it. <laughs> this is Moses trying to do the will of God, eh? And he's in the middle of the will of God. He's right dead centre of what God wants him to do. But these people, didn't we say, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see again. So God must have spoken to him about this. Yes. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And so God says, don't be calling on me all the time. Don't get it cracking, for goodness sake. My, my, my Bible says, quit praying and get the people moving. <laughs> <laughs> quit praying and get the people moving. And there is a time to be praying. And there's a time, that, you know, a lot of people are asking God to do something. God says, listen, I've anointed you to do that. You speak the word. You heal the sick. You go forward. You know, you know what Howie said on Sunday, I thought it was a real good word. You know, it's not time to go backwards. It's time to go forwards. It's not time to slip And I thought, yeah, that resonated in my spirit. Because we all get tempted at different times. Oh, we'll flag it away, you know. It's too hard. Nobody's interested. And so but no, I really, really believe that was a real word from the Lord. It's time to step into the flavour. Step into the blessing of God. Step into the into the fight. Hallelujah. Now don't step away. That was a good word that Harry brought on Sunday. Whatever God asks us to do, we must invite his presence to go with us. Prayer declares our dependence on God and the power of his Holy Spirit to accomplish all that he has asked us to do. Prayer for the people who are with us is essential to success. If we're running a home group, if we're doing anything with people or whatever, we need to pray for those people. Um, it's, it's, it's important. It's important. Um, 
And that, only God can give you success in the end. Only God can, can help the people to gather. And uh, God gives the increase. One size and another, but God gives the increase. So we need to be careful and, and include him. You know, the old, the old priest, the high priest, he had a, he had a breastplate, yes, mm-hmm. and on it were 12 jewels. Mm-hmm. What did they represent? Each All the 12 tribes, yes. And God says to them, to the, to the high priest, says to Aaron, you are to carry my people on, over your heart. Yeah? And then also he had two shoulder things. Yes? And he had six jewels on this side and six on those side. And the shoulders in the scriptures talks of government and of responsibility. And so on his shoulders he bears the, 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 the people, the tribes. And so when he came into the presence of God, he carried the people over their heart and he carries the tribes uh, the people uh, before the presence of God, yes, and and that's important for us. Uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna be of any use in the kingdom of God, we need to be a praying people, have them on our hearts, not just see them as a as a pain in the butt. Um, but anyway, there it is. So he was a smart fellow. He listened to advice. Moses, number seven. Moses listened to advice. What happened here? Can anyone tell me before we get to it? He listens to his father-in-law. Um, in, in Exodus chapter 18, we read about this. Uh, so he's, Jethro and his wife catch up with him. You've got to understand, when God called Moses, he left the family. He left the sheep and he off he went and he went with Aaron and went back to Egypt. Be quite a journey, a long journey. And he, and, he, and he gets there, and he's down there, and he goes through all the plagues over weeks and weeks. Then he leads them out, and, uh, and God says, you can go this short way. You go along the, the north coast, and you'll be there in, in t- 10 days into the promised land. But the people complained the whole 10 days. And God said, forget it. He said, we need yeah. They'll never win the battles like that. They've got a few lessons to learn. Mm-hmm. So he, they retraced their steps and spent 40 years until a whole generation of grumblers died. Mm-hmm. Of people who said it can't be done. Mm-hmm. And you know, the church has got to rise up in faith. Mm-hmm. It can be done. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Whatever God says can be done, can be done. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be strong in faith. and Because uh, the youngsters are coming up. The youngsters coming up, they, boy, they're bulletproof. They think they are. But, you know, nothing's too hard. We'll have a go. And it's great. And, and, and so that's good. But here, where am I? Verse 18, chapter 18, and uh, I'm in... Uh, so, 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 yes, so after all this, they, he leads them out into the desert. They've been out in the desert for quite a while. And then Jethro comes with his wife and his, kid, and his boy. And they catch up with him. And he's glad to meet them. And uh, there he is. And uh, so the next day Moses took his seat, verse 13, um, took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. 
When his father-in-law saw that all Moses was doing for the people, he said, what's this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people came to seek me, to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you, cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws, show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. The old model of church was, was the, you know, the pastor was it. And everything had to go through him. And if it didn't lick out, yeah. um, you know, he was, he thought he was a one-man band. Yeah. And uh, so the churches uh, stayed small. Uh, Pentecost came, especially the Pentecostal churches, but a lot of the churches were like this. And so they, they would, would get to about 100 if they were, were fortunate. And then they wouldn't go any further because there was no teamwork. Mm-hmm. They weren't trained to think about this sort of advice. Mm-hmm. And so when you've got two million people and you're trying to sort them out, mm-hmm. it's no wonder they're all standing around waiting. <laughs> yes. It's a bit like our systems at the moment. Why it takes so long for court cases to come to court is a disgrace. Mm-hmm. I've got a good friend up in Kaitaia at the moment and, and uh, he's been falsely accused of, of something. And uh, do you know that that court case has been dragging for two years now? And they just get there and nothing, something happens and it doesn't go through. And this guy, young man, has been sitting under um, scrutiny by the whole town just about over this thing. And they still are messing around with this thing for months after month. And I see all the people, you know, goodness me, they need to speed the thing up somehow. But anyway, that's just a rave. But um, I feel sorry for the people who who have to wait so long for a decision. Um, But there it is. I know the the wheels have to turn, but they need to turn a little bit faster in our country for these cases. But listen, so Moses had a great relationship with his father-in-law. It is important for us to develop good relationships with all our family members. Too often we can allow rifts that lead to fractured relationships among our families. This was not so with Moses. When Jethro arrives, Moses can't wait to tell all the good things that God has done for him and the people in setting them free from Egypt. It's just such a good thing to have someone who loves us enough to sit and listen to our successes and our failures. It is disappointing to have a great success and nobody to tell. We must be good listeners for others and encourage them. You know, isn't it great when you have something great happen and then you've got nobody that you can tell? 
And all this is happening. And Moses has had this thing. I mean, imagine the stories he had of what had happened in Egypt and all the things that he's seen happen. He, you know, I mean, he's never seen it like in his life. And he's leading out two million people. There's not a feeble one among them. God has healed the whole lot of them. And they're coming out. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out for 40 years. God, they had a pillar of fire in the, in the, in the night time and a pillar of cloud. And they... God, water comes out of a rock. Birds come in and fly for them. Manna comes down every morning. I mean, God, he's got so much to tell. And his father-in-law turns up. He can't wait to sit down and say, Dad, you know, man, God has been so good to us. And things like I remember when I was young, I just started out in, in, in the church life, and God began to bless in a remarkable way. My dad would come down. And uh, we, him and I, he, he was a great walker. He used to walk every day for miles. And so I'd go and walk with him and just share with him and, and, and what was happening and was able to tell him what God, things what God was doing. And he was interested. He listened and gave advice and asked questions and it was, it was a, a very special time at that time. And, um, <clears throat> you know, when we, 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 we need to build relationships so we can share our difficult days and our good days. It's great to have someone to share and, uh, and, and to talk over the good things. I remember uh, hearing the story of this pastor who, who was, was fed up <laughs> in his church and he wakes up this Sunday morning he says, turns over to his wife, he says, I'm not going to church this morning. <laughs> she says, you've got to go to church. He says, I'm not. I'm going out to play golf. She says, you can't do that. You can't go and play golf. He says, you, you've got to preach. You've got to preach in the morning. Well, who's going to preach? He says, well, someone else can do it because I'm not going. She says, well, what am I going to tell the people? What am I going to tell them? You don't turn up on Sunday morning. He says, tell them what you like. But he says, I'm not, tell them I'm not, well, he says, tell them I'm going, I had to suddenly go out on a course. <laughs> he says, that'll do. And so he gets out. Anyway, it's a beautiful morning and he gets out and he's playing to go, just enjoy playing on his own. It's just beautiful. The birds are singing, the sun's shining. He said, man, this is better and putting up with those grumbling, complaining people who don't like the sermons and don't like me. And he's out there, he gets on, on a par three hole, and he's, and he's standing there and he says, Oh, Lord, it's such a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord. It's so good. But he said, I'll tell you what, Lord, I've never, ever had a hole in one. He says, The Lord will just bless me with this. So he tees up on the tee and he hits the ball and soars up and he lands on the green, trundle, 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 trundle. Into the hole. Yes. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's fantastic. He said, "Why did he?" he says, "Lord, why did you do that for me?" He says, "Well, I decided to do it today because you can't tell anybody that you've been out here." Oh, I can't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. Number eight. Um, oh, just the last prayer. Then he listened to Jethro's advice. This was a lifesaver for him and brought great contentment for the people. The fact that Moses could delegate his authority to others made him a great leader. And, and, and so we need to ask people to help. Never be afraid to ask people to join your team. Never be afraid 
to ask. Sometimes certain personalities have difficulty in asking people to help them. And because they get disappointed, they get let down, and they say, oh, I might as well do it myself. But that's not the answer to building a great team. You need to pray. We need to pray and say, Lord, lead me to the person or persons that can help me, that will have a heart in this, that I can share the load with them. If and you're not surrounded by those people. Pardon? But if you're not surrounded by those You find them. God will lead you to them. You will, God will find them for you. Many times in the church I said, Lord, I need this sort of a person. And sure enough, they turned up. I remember in Blenheim we were building the, 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 the church and the school and uh, we, we met as a committee. We didn't know what we were doing. But we've got, we've bought eight acres of land and we, we've got the plans and they look beautiful. We've got the model and people saying, yeah, let's do it. And then we needed, we got, the boys got together and said, well, what do we need? One of them for this size project, we really need an engineer. That's what we need. So I said, right up. You sure that's what we need? Yeah, we need that. If we don't have that, we're going to be, we need someone to, to oversee this thing. We can do the nail and hammer stuff, the brick laying and all those, we need this. And so I said, okay, let's stand together. We stood together, held, held hands. Remember it? I said, Lord, help us. We really need an engineer to lead this team. Yeah. Lord, help us. Mm-hmm. We just stood around the boys prayed. and said, Lord, thank you. I said, Lord, we, right now, I remember saying, I said, Lord, we order an engineer from heaven. We, we need an engineer, Lord, in the name of Jesus, let an engineer mm-hmm. be sent. Sunday morning, I'm there at the door. This couple, I'd never seen them before. They come in, I said, and my mate on the on the team was just standing next to me and I met this couple I said g'day haven't seen you before he said no no this is our first time here we've just moved up from Christchurch and uh, we're uh, we've moved into town and we're just coming to uh, see what church we should go to and he said so this is the first church that we've been to but we're going to go around and have a look and uh, see what church um, that we should be in I said oh that's great that's a good idea you're going to have a look and and have a look. I said, what do you do? What, what have you come to town to do? He said, well, I'm an engineer. And my mate dug me in the ribs. I've got an elbow in the ribs like this. Because we just prayed on Thursday night. This is Sunday morning. He said, I'm an engineer. I said, an engineer. I said, that's very interesting. And I thought to myself, you won't be going to any other church, mate. God sent you for us. <laughs> Next Sunday, they were back. I never said anything about that. Because when I, you wait for God, God's got to talk to them, not me persuading them. God's got to talk to them. Next Sunday they're back. I said, oh, good, "Good to see you back again." Said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Boy, we just God spoke to us in the meeting. We thought we've got to come back again. Next week they're back again. They never went to any other church. Yeah, and he became the the project manager. <laughs> of course he did. God sent him. Pray in the team. Pray in the team, pray in the team, pray in the team. Pray for what we need. Pray God for whatever thing. Say, Lord, lead me and keep your ears and your eyes open because God will lead someone to you. God will send someone to you because if you're doing his work, then he has the people that will join the team. But, but you, 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 and I encourage you with that. It is a con- Okay, number eight, last thing. 
Moses was successful because he had a successor. It is a considerable skill when a leader can pass on his role to another when the time comes. Moses was successful in this when he hands the leadership over to Joshua. This was not a sudden thing, but one of intent. Joshua had been in close association with Moses for many years. When Moses went up Mount Sinai uh, to rece- and received the Ten Commandments and the plans for the tabernacle and the Levitical law, Joshua was with him. Joshua would have observed closely how Moses had dealt with opposition. He would have seen Moses. He would have seen him. He would have heard the people shouting at him, <laughs> saying, let's kill the dog. Why did you? Joshua was there. He was standing with Moses. He was close by him. He watched him intercede for the people. Most of all, Joshua loved the presence of God. So this was the man that he was going to pass on the leadership to. Exodus 33 and verse 11. Let's read it together. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So when the cloud of glory, they put a tent outside the camp. And then that was where Moses would go out and he would talk with God. And when he went, the cloud of God's presence would come down over that tent. And, Moses, and Joshua was obviously with him when those, that happened. And, and, and Moses was talking with God face to face. And Joshua was there. And so Moses would leave, but Joshua, there's something about this young fella. He loved God's presence. And he would just start saying, I'm not leaving. I don't have to leave. I've got no people to see. I'm just going to worship God here for a while. I'm just going to sit in God's presence. And so he was the one that God chose to take them into the promised land. Joshua was a great warrior and was God's choice to lead the people into the promised land. Deuteronomy 31 verse 7, let's read it together. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. So Moses passes on the baton. God says, You're not going into the promised land, Moses. You can go up into the mountain as far as you can see. I'm going to give you the land, but you're not going. And said, Joshua will do the job for you. And so he lays hands on Joshua, sets him apart. When he's about to die, God says, I'm going up to the mountain. This is your last day. And so before he goes, he lays hands on Joshua. No, no success without a successor. And so it's important for us to have a 2IC, someone who is coming up in the ranks uh, so that we can pass on what God has asked us to do, yes? And that will be a blessing for us.